because the words are simple, that doesn't mean it's not profound. Because it's, it's absolutely 100% contrary to the thinking of man in the church and outside of the church. So if, if you want to read with us, maybe we'll just start uh, in, in verse 10 and walk down through just four or five verses. We'll try not to be long. It's still early yet, though. Thankful for that. So, verse number 10, Galatians chapter 3. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, by again, by the works of the law. And you know, uh, I can see back in the Lord's day and back in the days of these apostles, they were trusting, they had some trust, some faith left over in the old covenant and in the old way of, of serving and worshiping God. That uh, I believe... Uh, And you know, I can see that as that's all that they had up until Christ. But in the New Testament, they have warred against that. And I believe Paul warred against it. The Lord Jesus warred against it to try to show and prove to man that by the works of the law, man's not got any hope. And you know, you look at us today and you still find man in the same exact place with some trust in what he's doing or what he's able to do instead of being fully anchored in the work of God in Jesus Christ. So, you know, when when Paul's writing this, there wasn't a New Testament like you and I are blessed with now. So as they're going to as he's going to speak to these people, he's going to use the old cup, the old word of God, the Old Testament. It's all they had. He's going to use that to prove it. Here in verse 10, this verse is from Deuteronomy 27. As many as are works of the law are under the curse. Well, what evidence have you got of that, Paul? Well, it's written in Deuteronomy chapter number 27 that cursed is every one that continueth. That word means to persevere or to stay in the same place. Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That is, that's elementary language. Some of these little children could understand that. And now let's, let's take that to every one of us then. By our deeds, by our works, by what I'm, I've done and by what I'm able to do, if I have not continued in all of the law of God, then I am under the curse of the law. You can look in Deuteronomy 28. I've got the Scripture marked. He said, let let me just turn and we'll read one verse there. We won't go on forever. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. It shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Now, if you go home tonight, turn to chapter 28, you read there in verse 15, and you go all the way over to verse 68. That's curses. 
upon those that... And it doesn't say, well, if you do the majority... Man says, well, I've done the majority of them. I've kept them for the most part. I've done pretty good. And when you look at other people, I've done just enough or better than the great majority of people on the face of the earth. And I'm going to come to God based on that. I'm going to come to God based on and trusting in whether completely or partially in what I've done and in my reputation. Well, that, that's contrary to the book. The book says if you've not done it all, then you're cursed. I can't come to God with a partial record if I've not done it all. And God help, surely we've got enough understanding to be able to see that surely we've not done all of the Word of God. We've not kept all of those commandments. So where does that place us? We are without question under the curse of the law of God. Now he's going to go farther. Let's prove it just a little more. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for... Now we're going to quote out of Habakkuk chapter number 2. He's got scripture to back up what he's saying. The just shall live by faith. So even out of the Old Testament... Before there was Jesus, God says that those that are just, those that are right with God, those that are innocent and pure in God's eyes, they're living not by what they've done in the past. They're living by faith in the justification that at that time is yet to come in Jesus Christ. Now, people have a hard time. Well, there's, there's different dispensations, this, that, and the other. But the Bible tells me now, just two or three verses up from where I started, that the Scripture preached to Abraham thousands of years before Christ that God was going to justify the heathen through faith. Now, God revealed that to Abraham. God revealed that in the Old Covenant. And those that were justified in the Old Testament, they weren't justified by their works. They weren't justified because they kept the law. They wasn't justified because of the offerings that they offered there. They were justified because they had faith that God was going to deliver a means to rid them of their sins. They were looking toward the one that was yet to come, the promise of God through faith. It's never been by works. And yet man looks to works. He's not done yet. One more verse. Verse number 12. And the law is not of faith. So there is no faith in the law. We know that because it is written, again, from Leviticus chapter number 18, verse number 5, the man that doeth them shall live in them. So there's, it's not faith, it's not trusting in, it's not looking for an outward source. The law is not that. The law is, son, you can live in them if you do them. If you'll do the law, if you'll keep the commandments, if you'll do everything I've said, you can live in them. 
There is a promise of life in the law. But you know what the problem is? The problem is already been said, already been alluded to there in the Garden of Eden. Adam took in sin and by that we were all found to be guilty before Almighty God. I can't say it any better, so I'm not going to try. But if, if you still have a hard time swallowing that down, know this, we didn't sin to become sinners. I didn't one day come to a certain age and sin and that made me to be a sinner. I tell you what I was. I come out of the womb a sinner. I was born that way. And over time, I began to sin as a result of what was in me. It's that natural course. That's the way I was born. Born a sinner. And I sinned as a result of it. Now God in none of this was God wringing His hands. This law, God never gave the law thinking, well, there'll be a few of them live up to this. And then when nobody did, God said, well, we better back up and do something else. That was never the case. This is a God that, by the Word, by what was preached, there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So from the very beginning then, the plan of God has never deviated, never been changed because of what I did. God already well knew exactly what I was going to do. And I'll tell you the God's truth. He had Paul write it down in Ephesians chapter 2 in the first four verses. He wrote down what I was going to do years before I was ever thought of. And every man that cometh from the womb. That's the way that man is. So by the works of the law, no flesh is going to be justified. By the works of the law, there is no faith. So you see this idea of, well, we've come to God by faith in Jesus, but now in order for us to be right with God, we've got to work this out, and we've got to do this, and we've got to hold up this standard. And I come to God today, I mean, God's going to save my people. God's going to bless my life. God's going to give me this, that, and the other because I've done something to uphold His Word. Boy, that's a grievous burden to lay on a man's shoulders, ain't it? That can't be the case though, can it? Because by the works of the law, there's no justified flesh among man. I cannot keep the commandments of God as He requires them to be kept. I swear to you, it's that simple. Cursed. It's not just that I fell out of favor, but it's that I'm under the curse. It's that God's divine power, that His hand is against me. That I am under the very wrath of God because of my sin. Now somebody that's cursed, somebody that God is the truth now, We were enemies to God. My flesh is still, as it lives today, an enemy of God. 
an enemy of the soul of man, an enemy of my family and my children, my flesh. You know what's got to happen? If God's work is ever going to be done, it's got to die. It's got to die out to its affections and to its lusts. But they are cursed. So they are under the pronounced judgment of Almighty God. They are in danger of falling into the hands of a consuming fire, of a God that is angry with the wicked every day, a God that's going to bring swift and quick judgment upon all of them that transgress and forsake the law of God. And there we were. We were cursed. We were dead in sins. We were rebellious towards God. We were wicked in every sense of the word. And in the flesh and in the carnal mind, we still are wicked and rebellious towards God. For the carnal mind is enmity. So then with this, this cursed man that you look on. How am I going to do something to warrant the blessing of God? I've already failed. I'm already under the curse. Listen. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. For it is written... Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You mean that was written? He's quoting Scripture. Again, he's proving by the Old Testament everything that he's saying. That's Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse number 23. The law says that every man that hangs on a tree is cursed. So the Lord Jesus became a curse not because he sinned, but by God hanging him on the tree, he became a curse that we could be redeemed and bought back from it. So in Hebrews chapter number 4, now we're going to look at a few places, and I'll be as quick as I can in each of these places. Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know when God said in Isaiah that He was a tried stone and a precious cornerstone, He wasn't lying. He wasn't making that up. The Lord came as a man just like me and just like you are, and He was tried. The pressure was applied. The heat was applied in every point like as we are. And you know what He proved to be? He proved to be perfect. He proved to be pure. He proved to be the precious Son of God, perfectly righteous, perfectly accepted, the perfect, divine Son of God. You can believe for what's written in the Word. You can believe by the Spirit and presence of God that's with us. You can believe that by His resurrection from the dead. Or you can believe as it's written, the voice of God that spoke out of heaven 
that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He never failed the law. He did not fail to do all that was written in the Word of God. But He kept them, and He kept them perfectly, completely, all the way to the end. Let us therefore come boldly. Because we've got this priest, I tell you, his request ain't going to be cast out. God's not going to turn his ear from this high priest. He did in the Old Testament. Uh, we, you know of Eli and his two sons there in the book of Samuel. They were sinning. Eli was allowing sin to go on. God turned his ear from them. He took the ark from them and he killed them in battle and he flipped Eli over in a chair and killed him. God turned his ear from some of those. But I tell you what we've got today. We've got a priest that was tried. We've got a priest that was tempted. We've got a priest that the devil sought after. We've got a priest that suffered and he was found to be perfect in every way. No curse on this man. He says in Peter, just a few pages over, First Peter, we weren't born redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish, without spot. He was the perfect lamb of God. Have you ever thought... Why did he have to be perfect? There's going to be two imputations here. Something's going to be imputed to me, and something's going to be imputed to him. In order for us to be saved, to be redeemed, to be bought up from the curse that the law has brought upon us, there must be two imputations. I like the word transaction. I believe that's what goes on. There's a transaction that takes place. One is receiving something and the other is receiving something in return. But now I'm not doing anything. This is God's work. Accomplishing this in Jesus. Let's be clear about that. But what's going to happen is, as we've broken the law, we fell under the curse. We are guilty and in danger of the judgment of Almighty God. We are under the wrath and judgment of God. So there is, justly, by the law, a penalty that I have to pay because I've broken the covenant. Because, as he said, I have not kept up my end of the bargain then I have a penalty that I have to pay for my shortcoming of that. Now, what is that penalty? What is the penalty of forsaking the covenant of Almighty God? Sin bringeth forth death. Not just, not just fleshly death either, but a spiritual death, a perpetual death. Death, eternal, dying, in furnace of fire, in outer darkness, 
in separation from God. So there we are now under the curse of the law, lawbreakers, and there is a judgment that's weighing over our head. Now that judgment is fair. Yes. It's just. Yes. It's what I'm deserving of. That's what the judgment of the law. The law is not unfair. It's equal across the board. I've broken it. I'm guilty. And I'm under the condemnation of it. Just as all of man is. So the Lord came as the perfect, spotless, and pure Lamb. You know what else I've done? Because I had broken the law, I had failed in the righteousness department as well. Not only was I now guilty and under the curse and the penalty of sin, but also I was unrighteous and I could never be righteous. See, what man thinks and the way it works in our world is, well, we'll have a make-up day. We'll make up that absence. We'll make up our failures. We'll do enough good that's going to outweigh the bad and we're going to make up where we failed. But if the law says, the law says you've got to make a hundred and you've got to make a hundred every day as long as you live. If I made a ninety yesterday, I failed already. And if I make a hundred the rest of my life, I've already failed. Well, see, there's where man was. Man was guilty under the curse and the wrath of God. And not only that, he had no hope of ever being perfect and ever being accepted before God. The truth. Where were we? We were dead and trespasses and sins. And I believe with all my heart that he wrote down dead right there that I might get the understanding that there was nothing that I was able to do to change that. You know what they do with a dead man? They dress him in what they want him. They lay him the way they want him laid. They paint him up the way they want him to look. And they put him where they want him to be. And he's helpless. And he's hopeless to do anything about that. That's where we were. We were in this state and there was nothing that I could do that could better myself to get out of it. But it gets worse than that too. Because I was in that state. I was in danger of the wrath of God. And I made fun of it. And I didn't care nothing about it. And I made light of it. And I said, that don't mean nothing to me. I don't care what that says. I'm going to do my way. I'm doing it whether I like it or not. So not only could I not do anything about it, but also I did not want to do anything about it. I wanted to lay there. It felt good to be dead. I said, I just want to lay here and be dead. Blind. Blinded by the devil to the furnace of fire Mm -hmm. that was one breath away from me. That's the truth. I was blind and unaware of where I was headed. But the Lord, Jesus, He came as the solution to all of my problems between me and God. He's the answer to all of my problems. 
Now he either he either is the solution to all of them, or he's only partial. He cannot be both. If he's not the complete solution, then he's just a partial solution. And there's a corner of it, or a, a fourth of it, or a tenth of it, or a fifth of it, left up to what I do. Now which is it? I mean, some people will say, well, he's the answer to it all, and then turn around three sentences later and say, now you've got to do this. That don't work. He's either all of it or he's just a part of it. I tell you what the book says. He came the perfect, spotless, and without blemish Lamb of God. He was tempted. He was tried. He endured persecution. He endured the temptation of the flesh. He endured the hatred of man. I tell you what he's going to say on over in 1 Peter chapter 2. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled. You want to be tested. You let somebody revile you to their face. You know what that does? got any nature of man in you, that'll bring a response. You let it go on long enough and man will respond. Whether it's with words or whether it's with physical activity, you let it go on long enough and man's going to respond. You know what the devil did? I tell you, you talk about trying a man. They hung him there before the world. They hung him there naked. And they hung him there beaten. And they spit in his face. And they made fun of him. They covered his head up and said, and they had slapped him in the face and say, now prophesy, master, and tell us which one of us it was that hit you. Boy, I tell you, he said, I could call ten legions of angels. Don't you know that in the flesh, the desire... To respond. What there? But you know what he did? He endured it. He stayed under. That's what the word endured mean. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't enjoy none of that. But I tell you what he did. He stayed under it that he might accomplish the work that God had for him to work out. He was tried. He was tempted. He endured. And he came out perfect. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed him himself, committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know what the Lord did? Lord, Father, I'm trusting you. You'll work it out the way it needs to be worked. Wouldn't it be good if I thought of it like that? If day by day, instead of trying to bring judgment myself, if I just commit myself unto God the Father knowing He's going to judge rightly. That's what the Lord did. Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree. So here's the first imputation. He says uh, again in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So God Almighty then, and I thought of this Scripture as uh, 
as Grady was up preaching, he says this in Matthew chapter number 8, verse number 16. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. Now I realize, as you read what Grady read, as you read what, uh, what Ronnie read, and you think, well, that woman's sickness, it just dissipated into thin air. And our sins, well, uh, He forgave them and they just disappeared magically when He done that work. Neither one of those things happened. He was healing these people by the Word of God in Matthew. They were coming on Him. That woman's issue of blood, it was transferred from her unto Him. He bore the very sick... But preacher, it didn't affect him. No, he was perfect. He was pure sickness and death. It could not affect him because he was not a sinner like you and I were. I tell you what he could do. He could bear. He could carry. He could take the load from man because he himself was perfect. The Son of God. Amen. He didn't have to worry about being sick. He could bear ours and it would not hurt him. But boy, sin. He bore our sins. They were lifted off of us and they were on him. And he carried them. And now the sin, the sin itself didn't hurt him. He wasn't made a sinner by it. No, sir. But you know what he had to do now? He did. He had to make the payment that you and I owed for our transgressions. Because if God now, wanting to redeem His elect, needed for them to be righteous, you see, first of all, their transgressions and sins had to be done away with. Well, He can't sweep them under the rug. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be just. That wouldn't be right. That would be skirting the law to do what I wanted. God can't do that. He's perfect and just and righteous in every way. The law had to be upheld and the law had to be fulfilled. So what was He going to do with these transgressions? Well, He sent His perfect and spotless Son of God into this world to bear our sins upon His back and not just carry them uh, around for a few days, but He bore them to the cross and there He bore the punishment, He bore the wrath, He bore the anger, He bore the judgment of God for all of those that would be saved. The Bible says that he tasted death for every man. Why, preacher, the Romans and the Jews, they conspired and by their power and political authority, they put that man to death. Jesus said, I have life within myself and no man taketh it from me. But I lay it down myself and I have power to take it up. 
You know why He couldn't take it up? I, you know why David died and Peter said you can go to the grave yeah. there at the day of Pentecost? You can go to David's grave. Yeah. You can read his tomb rock. You can open it up and you know where David's at? His body, his corpse is still laying there. You know why he's still there? David was a sinner. He had no power to take it up again. But this Lamb of God, He was perfect and pure. He wasn't suffering for His sin. He was there with our sin. He bore our transgression, our failure, our doubt, our worry, our fears, our wickedness, our sin. He bore the punishment. And on the third day, He took His life right back up again. They whooped your God. My God got back up after they whooped Him. The grave couldn't hold Him down because He was perfect. Oh, He was there willingly. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, not Hebrews, in Romans chapter 12, the little phrase, I'm not going to quote the whole verse, which is your reasonable service. You know what that means? It don't mean that God's asking something that's reasonable. He's not being unreasonable to me. That's not what that means. But if I brought a sheep in, or a yearling lamb in, and I walked it down to the altar, that dumb animal had no idea where it was going. It didn't know that I was bringing it down to the altar and its throat was going to get cut and it was going to die. Had no awareness of what was going on. But you know what, Jesus... He wasn't an unreasonable sacrifice. He didn't come blind as to what's going on. But He said, and He said it, you can look all through His ministry, for this hour came I into the world. I've come to drink the cup of my Father. I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die and I'll resurrect the third day. I'm going to be tried of men. I'm going to give my life. You know what it for the sheep that His people could be delivered from their sins. To bear our sins to the cross of Calvary who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree. As elementary as this sounds, maybe it needs to be said every now and then, He was a real legitimate, breathing, bleeding human being with a body that was hungry, that was thirsty, that felt pain, that was cold, just exactly like you and I were. He's just like us. He was a man with a body. He says in Hebrews, My God, what beautiful Scripture in sacrifice and offering Thou wouldest not, but a body Thou hast prepared me. God said, Son, I've prepared you a body and you're going to go suffer. You're going to bear the sins of my elect and through you I'm going to bring deliverance unto a world that's cursed by the law and by sin. Woo! A perfect plan of God.
who bear our sins in His own body, that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. You know what Peter's doing here? He's pointing us back again to the Scripture. For we are a sheep going astray, but are now returned under the shepherd and bishop of your souls. You, you recall, you can some of that. That's Isaiah 53. Again, the Old Testament proving what the Son of God was going to do. What's He going to do? As they opened His back up, the wounds on my back was being healed. As He was being scarred, as He was being beaten, as He was being mocked, my sins were being erased from my record. By His death, I'm healed. For you were. I'm going to come back to that verse in just a minute if you'll bear with me. So He delivered us from the wrath of God and by that work now, our sins, God, let's just say it, let's say it exactly right. God imputed our sins to Him. And so in Romans chapter number 4, verse number 23, now it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on Him that raised up the Lord Jesus from the dead. So what's God saying there? Well, there's the perfect Son of God, and God is imputing my sin on Him, that He would bear the punishment and the suffering for my iniquities, that I could be free. Now there's my penalty paid. But I'm still not righteous. I've still failed. I'm not perfect. So what's God going to do? Well, by faith, by that, and you know, you hear that so wrong. Just about every time you hear it anymore. But you heard it right tonight, I assure you, that faith is the gift of God delivered by God's power unto those that receive eternal life. And so God delivered faith unto those that would be saved. Let me, let me read this one more time. It wasn't written it for Abraham's sake alone, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. What's being imputed? Righteousness. Perfection. God's declaration that I am perfect, whole, right, and justified in God's eyes. Now how is that coming? By faith in the work that the Lord Jesus did. So God is then imputing Christ's righteousness onto me. And now today, I'm perfect because I have Christ's righteousness on me and I'm not guilty of sin because my sin was paid for by Jesus. The truth. What's left for me to do? who was delivered for our offenses. That's why He died. But He was raised again for my justification. 
my acquittal. I'll tell you, it was publicly declared when Christ arose that all them that come to Him by faith are acquitted by the grace of God. And it's not. Now, it's not that I have to wring my hands in fear and in worry and, well, we better do again. We better go to the altar again just to be sure that what we've got is legitimate. No, I tell you, He got up that I could be justified and it be publicly known that He's acquitted me. How is that? Not with a loud voice. Back to Galatians now. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Boy, this is going to be this is going to be a walnut in some people's throat right here. The blessing of Abraham is coming on the Gentiles through faith, through Jesus Christ. What is the blessing of Abraham? Well, preacher, that's that's that land over there in the Middle East. That's a few wells that he dug and altars that he built. Boy, people have it all wrong. He tells us what it is. With plainness of speech, he says the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews 11? The Bible says that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Not the city of David. Not a city of Nebuchadnezzar, but a city not made with hands that God Himself had constructed and established. You know what He was looking for? I tell you, He wandered in tents with no place of habitation. He wasn't looking for a continuing city here. He was looking for something that God was going to build through the Son, Jesus Christ. He was looking for the promise of God dwelling in man. The promise of the Spirit. He says in Ephesians, just before where our brother read there, in chapter 1, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Here in Galatians, it is that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In Ephesians, it's actually called. He refers to the Holy Ghost as the Spirit of promise. You know what this was? This was God's plan all the way back in the very beginning. God promised it. You can look in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, over and over and over again. You can look at the prophets, and i tell you what we've got. We've got it in the book of Joel. And if you don't believe it as it's written there, Simon Peter tells us on the day of Pentecost that the Spirit coming was the answer. It was the fulfillment of that promise. God promised man, I'm going to dwell with you. Not in a temple. Not in a building. Not in a town. God said I'm going to live in the depths of your heart. I tell you, whether I go to town, whether I go to the temple, whether I go to the church house, or I go to the job, or I go to the house, God is dwelling with me. Abraham was looking for that. Well, 
I'd like to be visited by angels like Abraham was. They came by. They ate a meal with him. And they moved on that evening. And Abraham watched them go. You know what the Lord did for me? I tell you the day that he saved me, he moved in and he's never left. And he promised me. He said, son, you won't wake up tomorrow and I'm moved out. I'll be with you always. Even to the end of the world. That's right. That's what he said. He promised me that. Why, preacher, tomorrow, your sin's going to separate you from him, not by the word of God. He's not going to leave me. I'll be in him tomorrow. The day that I die. I'm just about wore out. But I don't want to stop. The promise of the Spirit, which is the earnest of our inheritance. So what is then the promise that I am justified, that I've escaped His wrath, that I'm righteous, and that when He comes again, I'm going to be redeemed. I want you to know this of a surety. How many times I've been to church. How many prayers I've prayed. How many times I've read the book through. How many testimonies I've given and professions I've made and baptisms I've got has absolutely nothing to do with whether I'm justified with God or not. You know what all that is? That's all law. That's all of the flesh. That's all what I can do. But you know what the pledge of God is to me? You know what God's acquittal is to me? It is that I have received the spirit of promise, the very blessing of Abraham. i tell you what I've got. I've got just exactly what Abraham had. I've got the same promise. I've got the same Savior. I've got the same inheritance. And I've got the same God. And we're one in Jesus. He says in Acts chapter 2, and we'll hush. Acts chapter number 2, verse number 38. Now here is the day of Pentecost. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now those that repent, repenting is not repeat after me. I've said these words. I've done the ABC. I've went through all of the motions and God's got to hear me. That's a lie. That's a lie from the enemy straight out of the pits of a burning hell. Sound doctrine. I tell you, those that truly repent and believe the gospel and entrust Jesus for their salvation, they shall receive the Holy Spirit of God within them. Now, listen to what he says in the next verse. For the promise. What promise? 
Well, he's talking to Jews here at Pentecost. He must be talking about the promise of Jerusalem, of the nation of Israel. Well, why don't we see what he says? For the promise is unto you and unto your children and all that are afar off. Boy, I'm going to tell you, this is several days before Peter goes down to Cornelius's and the Gentiles receive the Spirit of God. So unaware to Peter, he's prophesying of what he don't yet realize is going to come to pass. He says, them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You know what matters? Whether God has called or not. Well, I've tried this, that, and the other. Well, you can try, and you can do, and you can try the works of the law, and I'll tell you where you're going to wind up. At the end of the day, you're going to be cursed. And you say, well, we'll clean off the slate, and we're going to try again tomorrow. And tomorrow, by the end of the day, you're going to find yourself short, and you're going to find yourself cut off. But I tell you, in Jesus Christ, He's fulfilled the righteousness of the law. He's met the standard of God. And let me say this while we're right there. The law's fulfilled. The law is not done away. That's a lie as well. The law, I tell you what He did. He established the law. The law couldn't be skirted for their elect to be saved. Jesus fulfilled every criminal and worst saved. And I think the law cannot condemn us. He saved us through and by and according to the law of God that He might be just and the justifier. I tell you, it's out of, it's out of my ability to bring it all in and bring it all together what God's done for us in Jesus. But I, what's the sum of these things? Of all these things, what can the elect say unto God? I'll tell you what he says there in Hebrews. Seeing we have this high priest, seeing God's accomplished this work, let us come boldly. I tell you, I don't have to come a-crawling and say, God, you know how I failed you. Please be merciful unto me. Say, Lord, you bore my sins. You bore my shame. You saved my soul. Now hear my prayer through the work of Jesus. And I tell you, any high-minded thought that God's going to hear me because I've been a good boy this week, that's straight out of hell as well. They're both equally Ungodly. You know how prayer is heard? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Whether you ever realize it or not, at the end of our prayers, we say in Jesus' name. You know why that is? Because me, Joseph's name, has got no hope of getting a prayer to where God's at. But I tell you, I've got a priest. He's there at the right hand of God. He's been accepted. He's been resurrected. He's my Savior. And I can pray through Him and my prayer be heard. We'll stop right there.